You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 633 for December 13th, 2023. On this episode, drummer Allison Miller. I've taken a few weeks off. It wasn't really my intention to take a few weeks off, but I have been spending a lot of time outside of my day job organizing around the conflict in Palestine. And I'll be honest, it has really just eaten up most of the rest of my private time. So forgive a few weeks away. I'm happy to be back with this episode with Allison. If you are a member, you'll also be getting, along with this regular episode, the bonus show, This I Dig of You, which all Patreon members get. Allison talks about flying her drone on that episode because the guest always talks about something non-musical that's bringing them joy. You can sign up to get that bonus episode at thejazzsession.com slash join. When you join, you also get early access to every episode of the show. You get some behind-the-scenes info, other bonus shows. And for every episode, I choose a Patreon supporter to name as the sponsor of that particular episode. This time around, this show was brought to you by Matt Marowitz. Thanks, Matt. Also, as a little mea culpa for being gone for a few weeks, members are getting an additional bonus episode this week. And that is an interview that I did with Jazz 90.1 in Rochester, New York. About 20 years ago, I was the station manager of that community jazz station. They're celebrating their 50th anniversary this year, and so they've been going back through the past and interviewing folks from days gone by who used to be part of the station. So I did an interview with them. Uh, Some of you will know me from as far back as those days, and that episode will come through on the Patreon feed as well. Allison Miller's new album is called Rivers in Our Veins. Here's the opening track. Thank you. 
Allison Miller, welcome back to the Jazz Session. Hi, it's, it's a pleasure and an honor to be back. It's lovely to have you. Uh, you have now uh, joined the, the Three Timers Club, which has some illustrious company in it. And uh, I love when people come back because it's fun to kind of follow folks over the the course of a bunch of new projects. And I got to say, this one has just hit me in all of my feels. Uh, the new album is called Rivers in Our Veins. And it, I just love it. I just want to start by saying it. it's a fabulous, fabulous record. Oh, yay. Thank you. You're I, welcome. I, I, I put a... It was a long, it's been a long journey with a lot of heart and soul and from everybody involved. So it feels really good to hear when people say they like it. <laughs> well, let's start right there with the journey because the origin story of this album is fairly complex. You know, it, it was part of a, a larger multimedia project and was part of a commission, et cetera, et cetera. So can you, can you give us kind of the origin story of Rivers in Our Veins? Yeah, well, originally... In early 2018, possibly even late 2017, James Lemons, who's the artistic director at Lake Placid Center for the Performing Arts, he approached me asking if I would be interested in applying for a grant, a commission, basically a composer's grant. And I said, well, will you write it? <laughs> he said, yeah. I was like, great, I'm in. So, you know, I came up with the topic and, and initially it was New York state rivers. And I was focusing on those. Of course, I'm, I've am i always been drawn to nature. I'm always trying to, I use the word bio, biomimicry because I'm always trying to mimic nature, not only in my compositional style, but also on the kit and specifically water on the drums. I am constantly philosophizing on how can I sound more like water on the drum set. So that's always been really important to me. And I've, I, I spend a lot of time in nature and, and in waterways. So I naturally landed on the, the river theme. And then it turned into a larger project. Um, Mid-Atlantic Arts Organization got on board and Jazz Touring Network. And so I kind of expanded my geography and decided to focus on five major East Coast American rivers. And from there, I did about a year of research as I was writing. I was really trying to, you know, not only through my research, not only gather inspiration, but also learn about communities that lived around these rivers, learn about the history of migration along those rivers, and learn about the, the biodiversity within the rivers and the watersheds. So that took a lot of time, and I, I took my time with it. And then I wrote the music. Somehow, I mean, if I got into everything else that was going on in my personal life at that time, it's kind of a miracle. My son, my my second kid was born that year. And I mean, I can't even start with everything that was happening to me, but nor do I want to share, but <laughs> it was a lot. And But somehow I finished it and we got in, we did a, a seven show premiere tour and about midway through writing the piece, I decided that I needed tap dance because I needed a, I needed movement. I needed motion in the piece because of water. And I wanted that distinctly American dance form, which is American tap jazz, jazz tap dance. So I brought in Claudia Raharjanato to tap for the show. And I brought in a video designer, Todd Winkler, to add visuals. And it just grew from there. Now it's the the live piece is now has three dancers and video and the full band. So anyway, I'm really lucky through the 
Mid-Atlantic Arts Organization and the Jazz Touring Network that we got this piece finished and and up and running. And then there, there's just been these amazing presenters who've who love the piece, who've jumped on board and have helped fund it more to build it. So the Strathmore in Maryland in Bethesda, Maryland just presented it and they really put a lot of effort towards supporting me in that journey to make it bigger, connecting me with local river organizations so I could interview them and we could so we could raise money for them as well for the during the live performance. And so it's just really it's turned into this incredible thing. It's taken a long time to get the music out because the set, a month after we finished that first tour, COVID hit. So, and half my band lives on the West Coast. So we didn't see each other for a year and a half or something. So, but it's here. I'm so, I can't tell you like how good it feels to get this music out. Cause I, it, there was a moment there where I thought it was just kind of going to go wisp, wisp away with the wind, this music. And it's not, it's here. And, and I'm so happy about that. There's so much to unpack, even in just what you've just said. But before we dive into all of that content, can we talk about who's in the band? Because, uh, well, first of all, everybody in the band, except Jenny Scheinman, and not for lack of trying on my part, has been on this show at least once and most of the multiple times. And I don't know what's happening with Jenny, but one of these days she'll be on the show, too. But yeah, will you just take us through who's who's on this record uh, in terms of the musicians? And we can get into the dancers a little bit later. Yeah, well... When I get asked that question, I like to mention Carmen Staff first, because she is kind of my my musical soulmate, compadre. And when I was writing this music, she was gracious enough to just come over whenever I asked her to come over. Not every, not whenever, but you know, she's a busy person. So when I would be writing a piece, I would say, hey, do you have a moment? I'll buy you coffee and a bagel. Will you come over? And she would just play through my ideas for me because... I was writing so much material at that time and I didn't know how it would all connect. And she's such a beautiful player and sight reader and interpreter of the music. So, and we have such a trust in each other. So I could just say, Hey, this, what do you think about that? Do I need, need to write chord changes on this? Like, can you just play these voicings and will that work? And, you know, I can ask her questions that I think sometimes drummers are afraid to ask like drummers who compose were afraid to ask certain people because <laughs> we're afraid to admit that we really don't have any clue of what we're doing. <laughs> but, you know, that's why I surround myself by awesome people who just tell me, hey, that that note doesn't really fit. Do you want that in that chord? And I'll be like, yeah, I do. I'm a drummer. Just Just keep playing it. So anyway, she would come over and play ideas, play these little thematic ideas for me. And so 
initially she was like definitely the pianist from the beginning. In fact, out of all the times we've performed this, she's one of the only people who I've never had to get a sub for. And I just, I basically work all my shows around her. So Carmen and then Jenny Scheiman, of course. And part of that is that we have such a long history together. This music is not one genre, as most of my music is. And it's definitely one of the big goals of this suite of music was to pull in multiple genres, multiple American genres, everything from folk to Americana to funk to New Orleans to jazz, rock. You know, I wanted, I really wanted this piece to feel distinctly American. And so Jenny was the answer for me for that. She brings in that rootsy vibe that I I need. And also I've always felt like her playing is so cinematic and it's like the second she starts playing, it's like she just walked out of a field, walked out of the, a wooded area into a field of beautiful flowers. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, 100%. Like, it's, just, it's like she's never lived inside or something, you know. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of long-winded, I guess, tonight. And then Jason Palmer on trumpet. And this was the first time he and I, actually, this is yeah, the first time he and I have made a record together. Actually, second time, but first time with me. And he is just, I needed, I really wanted a trumpet player who was a master of the tradition, but also really modern. And that's Jason to me. Like, he is a master, a complete master, a complete gentleman. He's a pleasure to work with, always plays the music at 110%, you know? And so he's been lovely to work with. Ben Goldberg, He's been in boom. Most of, I mean, most of this band has been in boom, tick, boom. So we have these long relationships. And for Ben, for me, it's his clarinet playing is unique. He, he's the only person that sounds like Ben Goldberg. And he plays contra-alto clarinet, which if anything, if there's an instrument that sounds like a foghorn on a river, that's Ben. You know what I mean? Like he has to be in this project. And of course, Todd Sikafus bass bass drummer team forever so he was he was a natural addition as well it was very for me it was just pretty much right just right right staring you right in the face all these people like this is it you know yeah that's like the allison miller a team or whatever so right yeah (laughs) now but but you know it's funny i i had that i always had this feeling like i'm never going to be able to do this music with any other people but lately especially because the record's coming out we have all this promo and shows and i haven't been able to get everybody in on the a team so i've been getting pulling in all these subs and everybody brings their own flavor and it's awesome you know it's totally worked out with different groups of people that's fabulous So I'll just mention again, self-servingly, Todd is on the, well, as we're recording this, Todd is on the most recent episode of the show. Carmen has been on at least twice, uh, once with you. Ben Goldberg has been on, and I think Ben might be like one of my favorite musicians in any genre right now. I just think what he's doing in every setting I hear him is just like so effortlessly creative and inventive and fearless. I just, I think he's He's brilliant. Uh, anyway, he's been on the show. So has Jason. And uh, we will complete the set someday with with Jenny. We'll, uh, we will scale that mountain somehow.
One thing you mentioned about this record in which I also wanted to to just ask you more about is the breadth of music that it covers, because it starts in this place that, you know, for me, like I'm a big fan of Lee Von Helm. I, I know he's important to you, too. And it starts in a very Lee Von Helmy kind of place with you and with Ben's uh, Contra Alto. And but it it doesn't stay there. I mean, that's just like one piece of this massive fabric. So could you tell me about how you decided to express this broad kind of concept of geography and of like human geography, the the Rebecca Solnit idea that I know factors into this. How did you decide, how, how were you able to distill these massive concepts and all of this kind of river lore in into this music? How did you even begin to figure that out? Especially since, as you said, there was a lot going on in your life at the time too. It seems like a massive thing to kind of get into this music. Yeah. Well, you know, most of the pieces had an had an inspiration, right? So, for instance, the first piece of the album, Of Two Rivers, there's a part one and a part two. So, Up Two Rivers, one is is supposed to feel like when it starts, it's supposed to have this kind of ominous beginning, right? Where the water is beginning to flow. It's got a swampy, heavy kind of feel, right? Back, like you said, Levon, back, like back back beat you know and so it starts like that but then as the and it builds into this kind of party right that has this feel but then it abruptly ends and it i did a lot of i use a lot of musical devices to imitate or to bio bio imitate the water my my research and how waters flow kind of this beautiful chaos you know it seems as if sometimes when i would sit by a riverbank on the Susquehanna and see all these different flow rates as I looked across the river, I'd be like, how is this working? You know, nature is like, it's like anarchy, but somehow it's, it's like beautiful chaos. It works really well together. The only time it stops, stops working is we, when we get in the way of it and we pollute it. Right. So I really wanted to try to capture that feeling of beautiful chaos in the music. And so in that first up two rivers, it has this sudden key shift. I used a lot of key shifts like that, like big dynamic shifts, tempo shifts. But the key shift happens, and that's when the water starts rushing into the western fork of the Susquehanna, and it becomes the grand, great Susquehanna River, because it starts as two different rivers. So when those come together, that's that feeling. And then we get into the Of Two Rivers Part Two, which is then like the full grand Susquehanna is fully flowing and there's a party happening, you know? And so there was a, there were a lot of moments like that. I didn't particularly think about, as I was writing each thematic idea, most of my ideas were melodic that I sang into my phone. I probably, I mean, I'm not lying. I probably had hundreds of 20 second ideas and I had no idea how those things were going to come, come together. Sometimes they would like 
one idea would end up being a baseline and then another idea would pop up like a month later and I'd say, hey, that that could work on top of this baseline. And then another idea could work on top of that. And now we have three different flow rates that are happening that all seem like they're in different tempos and feels and emotional feels, but they somehow are linked together. And so there was a lot of that, a lot of play with polyrhythms, play with stretching time, feeling like there is no meter, but there is a meter. You know, none of this, I, I like to say none of this is, none of these concepts about environmentalism, conservation, rivers, biomimicry, all these things, they're not hammered over the listener's head. It's more delicate. And, you know, there are no lyrics, right? So my job, I feel like as the composer is to convey this feeling of like, oh, I'm on a river. I'm going to notice my rivers around me now as I, after I listen to this record, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to notice that river I drive over every day and haven't even thought about in three years. You know what I mean? So, but yeah, but I, I wasn't particularly thinking about specific genres. You know, I think it's probably partly because I love so many genres of music and I listen to so much music. And oftentimes I just write the piece and then afterwards I'm like, oh, okay, well, this is almost like a, there's one piano intro that almost sounds like a Bach etude, you know, that Carmen plays. And I had no, I just played it on the piano and wrote it out. And then I thought, oh, this is kind of cool. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just like the other day I was rehearsing the first song on the record with a couple subs, you know, and they were like, oh, we love that three, eight bar. And I said, yeah, I had no, I have no idea that that even existed because I, I actually sang this whole part into the phone and it wasn't until I wrote it out later that I said, Oh, okay. There's a three, eight bar. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love how organic all of that is. That's, that's wonderful. Let's take a quick break from the interview so that I can remind you that you can support what I do and help keep high quality jazz interviewing coming your way in perpetuity by becoming a member for $5 a month. When you do that, you'll get a bonus episode with every regular show, plus early access to every episode, additional bonus material, additional behind the scenes updates. And this week you're getting not only the bonus show, but you're getting another bonus show. Uh, which I described in the intro, but is an interview that I did, or that was done with me, by Jazz90.1 in Rochester, New York. You can become a member today at thejazzsession.com slash join. I also write press releases and artist bios and liner notes for musicians. You can find out more about that and get in touch at cranewrites.com. And now, back to the episode.
we absolutely have to talk about the dancers because uh, they are such a crucial element. And I've I have seen performers play with dancers, but I don't know that I've ever really heard all of that much on recording. And it's so well captured here and integrated. And I know you have a deep history with dance. So will you tell me something about why you felt it, it was so important to have the dancers? And I'm also curious about how how much of what we're hearing is stuff you wrote versus t- like telling them here's the concept and now you do your thing. I don't really get how that part of it works. Yeah. Well, Claudia Rajanato, the the first tap dancer to join the team, she reads music. She's a great singer as well. So, and she grew up playing in Germany, playing classical piano. So she reads the music even on stage, but no, none of the rhythms None of the the tapping that you're hearing, unless they're outlining the rhythms of a melody, none of it is written. They are solely improvising. There are these there are sections in the piece where they have hits. You know, like we'll be we'll be kind of doing stop time, and they'll be tapping in between those stop times. They're going to be hitting those hits with us, but other than that, it's all improvised. In the live show, we have choreography. There's a lot of improvisation, but then there are moments where the two tap dancers, and sometimes even the contemporary dancer all come together and they dance together. But oftentimes there's always a room for improvisation. I mean, that's the thing about this piece. It's through composed. It's heavily composed. It's meant to flow from beginning to end, but improvisation is still a centerpiece of it. Even with the video, the video projector, our video designer travels with us and he is improvising as well. So for instance, if Jason decided to take two choruses of a solo, it's not like he'd run out of imagery. He has like a whole treasure chest of imagery to, to improvise with as we play. So that works out great. So yeah, at the heart of it is is communication and improvisation. And that that translates definitely to the tap dance. I mean, tap dance for me is, tap dancers are my heroes because they are the great ones are, are, are playing, you know, they're, that's their instrument and they're playing like masters. Like they are, when they take a solo, it's like a great drum solo, you know, it's like a Max Roach solo, you know, they're my heroes. I tapped as a kid. I still try to tap whenever we're, I have a chance. And it's just, it's magical to me because, you know, I sit there and sure I do things with four limbs, but but I don't have to hold my weight while I'm doing it. It's a whole nother ball game when you are actually holding your weight and and tap dancing on such a high level with such rhythmic complexity as they do, you know, it's really amazing. And it's one of my favorite things. So when I had this opportunity to bring in tap dance, I thought, hell yeah. You know, like I've worked with tap dancers a lot, but never my own project. And I also kind of have this secret mission to to break down some barriers because I feel like 70, 80 years ago, tap was an, it was an essential part of jazz music. And like Ellington toured with tap dancers. It was very, it was very much connected and somewhere over time, it's not that tap is now, you know, not doing well or anything. It's just somehow you don't hear it as much on modern jazz. And I just think that's about, that's just a bunch of, Bull crap. So I, that's like my, that's my Southern yeah. coming out. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm bringing tap back. Like tap should be heard in modern jazz. You know, it's, it's essential. And also this music, like 
you know, I, I love, I love complex modern improvisational music, but I also think this music should have motion to it and music, music that has motion makes people want to move. So that for me is real, a big part of it. And, and showing that there, this movement exists with the rivers. When you're saying motion in that sense, do you, do you mean visible motion? Yeah. Yeah. Visible motion. Yeah. I, I have, of course, the momentum of the music, right? That's really important for me. And of course, I'm such an educator that I'm always talking about momentum. You know, that's like my, my go-to word for every lesson. You know, I'm like, yeah, you're playing the, you're playing that ride, you're playing your ride symbol dance, but it doesn't have motion to it. It doesn't have that joy and that forward momentum that carries the music. You know, I'm always talking about that. So for me, it exists musically. And a lot of we play with that feeling emotion. You know, for me, it's very natural to play with motion, the, the, the concept of motion in music, because I'm a musician. But for dancers, they can really play with that concept of motion in such a visual way that we can't always do as instrumentalists. You asked me, about all the dancers. And I also oh. just, you know, I only mentioned Claudia, but the other dancers I had on the the recording are just fabulous. Michelle Dorrance, who's, you know, MacArthur genius, incredible. She has a company called Dorrance Dance. That's how I actually know all these tap dancers because I have been friends with her for a really long time and I've worked with her a lot. So she guests on the record. Orlando Hernandez guests, Elizabeth Burke and... Byron Tittle, who's an amazing tap dancer, and he also dances contemporary dance on the piece as well. So they all just came together and just danced their butts off. <laughs> the book River Horse. Do you know that book? I don't. So it's a book by William Least Heat Moon, the guy who wrote Blue Highways. And in the book, he goes from the Hudson to the West Coast via inland navigable waterways in the US in a little boat. And you have to portage for a few hundred miles in two different places, but you can mostly make it across the country. And when he does that, since he's traveling on mostly on rivers, but some lakes, when he does that, one of the things that he notices is how many towns have kind of turned their backs on the rivers that they used to face and how these towns where rivers were a major kind of transportation or migration, now that highways exist, the rivers aren't aren't that anymore. And I know that this this piece also deals with these ideas of our relationships to rivers, both in terms of how we treat them at, at, you know, as 
as polluters or non-polluters, but also the ideas of migration. Uh, can you say a little bit more about that? And I, you know, obviously we're talking about instrumental music, so some of these things are concepts more than explicitly talked about since there aren't lyrics. But yeah, exactly. Well, they were a big part of my research as I was gathering inspiration. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I actually, I want to read that book. Thank you for mentioning it. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the purpose of this piece is that I feel like you know, we have all these major cities that all would not exist without these rivers, right? But they're not as rivers aren't as vital to the community, at least they're not overtly as vital to the communities as they used to be, right? They're not our only method of importing goods anymore. You know, there's so many different things, but they're still so important to these areas. And because they're so important, it's, also, it's a double edged sword because it's also why they've been polluted so horribly. So, you know, a big part of this piece is for, I want to have people, as you said, uh, this writer said, they've turned their backs on the rivers. I want them to turn back around, you know, and it's not that nobody's doing that. You know, there are these organizations and all the rivers that I focused on have actually had significant cleanup work done in the past 20, 30 years. There needs to be more work done, but yeah, I mean, I focused a lot on, you know, every, everything back from, you know, I did research on the Underground Railroad along the Susquehanna River, interviewed a scholar, uh, expert on this topic in Pennsylvania, got a lot of wonderful information that I didn't know about. I, you know, of course, I studied a lot of indigenous tribes and their reliance on the river, on the rivers. Talked. Uh, we spent a lot of time, I spent a lot of time researching the shipyard works workers along the James River and the union strikes that occur have occurred over the years along the James River from shipyard workers. So, you know, all of this, all of that kind of the, the human component to it, of course, as again, it's all instrumental. So we're not hammering it over your head, but it is very vital. And that's partly why I have, t I have tap dancers as well, because they are, they're representing the human movement around the rivers. And the contemporary dancer is more representative of the water, the flow of water as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really broad topic. I mean, it's, and, you know, honestly, it hasn't ended. You know, like last year, I, well, not even last year, this year, earlier this year, we did a Strathmore performance in Bethesda, Maryland. And they really, they really have a, they 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 put a focus on helping artists build projects and artists who might not you know they brought me in they booked the show they have a two thousand it I played it you know it was a two thousand seat theater right so kind of a notch or two above what I could normally fill but they they do that on purpose they bring you in to kind of develop you and help you kind of go from one setting to the next and. They supported me. They connected me with so many organizations. I must have conducted, you know, five or six hour-long interviews of environmentalists, riverkeepers. This woman, Nancy Stoner, who heads up the Potomac Riverkeepers Organization, she used to work for the EPA, and she just had so much information, you know. And so part of this piece is like, it's about community. You know, it's about meeting people. I'm still in touch with her. We were texting today, you know, like, and just kind of growing this community of, of river, you know, river lovers, you know, the day after, it was funny, the, the day after we did the Strathmore 
piece, I kind of got dared to do, they were doing a polar bear plunge <laughs> and to raise money. And I kind of got dared to do it. And I did, I, I announced it on stage. I was like, I'm going to the, I'm, I'm jumping in the Potomac tomorrow at seven at 8am. Who's joining me? You know, and we did it. We all went. And I think some people from the show came and uh, we jumped into the river. What was, was that like? It was amazing. <laughs> loved it. I was like, because I used to be kind of wimpy or in cold water. But once you do something like that, you're like, oh, it's, it's <laughs> nothing. It's nothing. Wow. But yeah, I mean, you know, I, I will say, I don't want to be too long winded, but I will say that another, you know, message of this piece is to help people realize that our rivers are dependent on us and we are dependent on our rivers. And there's no way that we can have a strong community without connecting with our local waterways. It just can't be, you know, and people need to know that, you know, sure, people know if you drop your, if you drop, throw your plastic water bottle out the window and you're going over a bridge or a river, all kinds of damage could happen, right? But I don't think sometimes people don't put it together. You know, they, they conceptually realize, but they don't, they don't quite get it, you know? People don't understand how much pollution runs into every river that goes through an urban environment for every time it rains. Rain, rain runoff uh, is, ho is so horrible for the environment. And, you know, I was, I've been thinking about it a lot, actually, because we just dealt with this really bad flooding last week in Brooklyn. And it's, it was disgusting, the amount of trash floating around and all of that is going into the oceans and the rivers. You know, it's, it's pretty scary. Actually, it's really scary. So. Yeah. This uh, kind of preparing for this interview and listening to this record multiple times was making me think about, you know, how much, and we are kind of coming to a close here, but making me think about how much rivers and river landscapes, like I, I was born along the Housatonic and then I grew up near the Genesee. And then I lived along the Hudson and then not far from the Susquehanna. And I currently live between the Rivanna and the James. And I feel like all these places that I've been, they have been so shaped by rivers. And I am a fan of big water. Like I'm, a, I've always been a fan of the ocean and, and the great lakes and things like that. And I think I've kind of given rivers a little bit of short shrift sometimes in my, like my imagination or my appreciation of nature, like thinking that they're not grand enough in some way or not, I, I don't know, not magical mm. enough in some way compared to these, you know, infinite vistas of the, the Atlantic or Lake Ontario or whatever. But as I've thought about it more, I mean, I, I just think about how much of the art that I've consumed and the books that I've read and the poetry that I love and even just the places that I've that have shaped me have been the way they are because of rivers. And I appreciate this record and the things that the messages contained in it just for putting my focus back on that and reminding me that there's, you know, there's more I can do even just from the standpoint of appreciating what's actually there, let alone mm -hmm. the activism I could take part in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, actually just being aware of them and appreciating them can actually, that is activism. You know what I mean? It's like, because you're you're there, you're thinking about it. You are now aware of every time you, you know, drive by the, a river, and th you're not going to throw a water bottle out the out of the car. No. But you know what I mean. Yeah, you're aware of it. You're aware of it. And also, you know, I was going to say, most of all, those rivers are leading to that the grand water you're talking about. They're yes. leading to the ocean, right? 
Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, well, the album, which is brilliant, is called Rivers in Our Veins. My guest is Allison Miller, and uh, it's been such a joy and an honor, as always, to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. It's been wonderful. Thanks to my guest, Allison Miller. Allison has been on the show before, and you can hear that interview by searching for her name at thejazzsession.com. Thanks also to the members who support this show and to the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music and Sarah Walter for the logo. You can message me for more info about Sarah. Chuck Ingersoll is the voice of the intro. You can hire him at hearchucknow.com. You can follow the Jazz Session on Twitter at jazzsesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, although I think that's probably not going to be true for too much longer, and also on Instagram and TikTok at the Jazz Session. Take a second right now to rate and review The Jazz Session in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. It really helps put this show in front of new eyes. I have a second podcast called A Brief Chat. It's also an interview show, although at this exact moment, it's being used each day to send out a poem from Diane DePrima's book, Revolutionary Letters. You can find it at abriefchat.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to keep up to date on my podcast, my poetry, and more, you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to thejazzsession.com and clicking on the newsletter link. That's thejazzsession.com. In the most recent newsletter, I revealed a, a fairly monumental life thing. If you like what you just heard, please become a member of The Jazz Session for five bucks a month at thejazzsession.com slash join, and then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.